Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel Comics series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week we're heading back to Germany where Kurt's countrymen are always thrilled to see him and everything's always wine and roses, especially when Margali, Sparrows, and Amanda Sefton are involved. Excalibur 76 was originally published in April 1994 and the creative team is Scott Lobdell and Richard Ashford on writing, Ken Lashley on pencils, Randy Elliott on inks, Pat Gary and Chris Mathis on colors, Pat Brousseau on letters and Susan Gaffney and Bob Harris on editing. Welcome back to Kurt Wagner Fashion Watch. This week, we're talking about gravity-defying hospital gowns and the foster sister girlfriends who either love them or hate them. It's sometimes hard to tell in worlds where people seldom smile. But who are we? Starting with myself, I am Dr. Anna Papard. I like talking about sexy, gendery stuff in academic places and internet places, like at the Twitter account, Sequential Scholars, where Andrew and I and special guest Dr. Christopher Maverick are wrapping up a series of threads on New Teen Titans right now. I am also the unofficial PR manager of the style icon known as Mr. Kurt Wagner. And in that capacity, I have no insight whatsoever into the physics of this hospital gown. Although we did have someone make us some <laughs> very lovely, not suitable for work fan art after I posted this image to Twitter, um, which I don't think I shared with everybody, but I, I will definitely share that around after the pod if you haven't seen it yet. Because <laughs> you know, we all need to see those pictures. It was very, very well done. Very well done. I don't remember the person. Purely for research reasons. About. Yes. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, moving on. I am joined as always by Mav. Please remind us of what you get up to in the tie-in comics between episodes. Hi, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And, you know, I co-host this show and another show called Vox Popcast, where we talk about, you know, pop culture and sex, gender, class, things like that, but completely relevant for this episode. And I don't know that I've ever mentioned this on this show before. I've mentioned it on my other show, but I am the area chair for erotica and pornography for the Popular Culture Association, which makes me specially and uniquely, you know, like basically I'm in charge of papers about porn and sex. So that makes me uniquely qualified to talk about the current trend in pornography, step-sibling porn. 
That's what I'm right. That's right. Oh, I'm an expert. Yeah, and, yeah. and I am so excited about today's episode because, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, 76 issues in and now we get to like talk about something that I started alluding to on our very first episode. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm also very much looking forward to, you know, like the pathos that will be in this issue as we discuss in depth the the loss of, of Rachel Summers. Because, you know, like when Brian died or when we thought he died, we were just like depressed about it for like several issues and nobody could kiss anybody. And it was really, really sad. So I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of drama as we try to get over the loss of this long-standing character, this uh, you know, this person who I've, who's been in the book that we're all very, very attached to. Looking forward, to, looking forward to it, and just like really, really digging into the pathos today. That's that's what's going to be. That's what's going to happen. I'm sure of it. But you know, Mav. <laughs> I mean, I've obviously read this series before, but my expectations were also so low that it hadn't even occurred to me like how bad that is. But oh, oh, anyway. oh! I've I've been I've been waiting for like ever since the Brian funeral issue. Like I've been waiting to point that out because it bugged me mm. so much then, and it continues mm-hmm. to now. So we'll get to it, but it, not yet. I mean, it's yeah. just like I'm. It's a thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good, good week for, for talking about incest in media, too. There was that whole, <laughs> at the time of recording, uh, a whole dust up at Cosmo, I think, with like articles about the incest in, in the whatever that Game of Thrones show is and like whether it's hot Cosmo. or not. And like, yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, <laughs> I don't have any insight into that. I just saw the discourse on Twitter. Anyway, so we're off to a great start already. Um, Andrew, please remind us of your relevant continuity. Um, I'm not great on relevance, but I, I'm Dr. Andrew <laughs> Demand. I am a lecturer at St. Jerome's University, um, where I am just limping my rotted corpse through this term, trying to do two new course preps, <laughs> and, and I'm just dying. But uh, I, I'm also co-project lead for Sequential Scholars, which, as mentioned, I, I will hype my co-hosts. Um, Christopher Maverick wrote a really good thread on the Judas contract that I'm stupidly excited for us to post. It'll be tomorrow in recording on accident. time. I wrote it on accident. <laughs> yeah, by accident. And then Wasn't he bullied you into making it public. Um, but I actually wanted to extend that that media bullying as well, because to prep us for this episode, Anna wrote like a brilliant summary of the entire toxic debate around Amanda Sefton. Um, and I'm really hoping we can convince her to just go through it like word for word when we start to talk oh, about no. that character, because oh. it should be on her wiki. No. I'm, I'm all for it. Yes. <laughs> I have so many thoughts about this. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, we all have lots of thoughts, so let's get to them. So we are joined this week by a very smart and funny guest who said he wanted to talk about Ken Lashley's Nightcrawler, and I'm going to hold him to it. The pod is delighted <laughs> to welcome Johnny Walker. Welcome, Johnny. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm delighted to be a guest here, despite not being a professor of any kind. Uh <laughs> The big fan of the pod, and it totally was one of those things that I stumbled upon a while ago, and it spurred on, you know, a full from the start reread of (laughs) the series that has been really exciting and cool for me. So awesome. That's amazing. Awesome. I had to really blast through about the past 20 issues to get caught up in time (laughs) for this one. But, uh, But I got there. I'm there. Oh my goodness, you did not have to do that, but we appreciate it nonetheless. We're super excited. Well, context is important. It, it, I, I want to agree. Is it to I this mean, specific <laughs> issue? <laughs> some, 
Sometimes no. the, the writers of this series lately <laughs> haven't really agreed, but, <laughs> but yeah. it's certainly good that we're here providing context. <laughs> anyway, let me tell the listeners a little bit about you, Johnny, and then we'll talk a little bit more about your comic stuff. So Johnny Walker is a Toronto-based writer and performer best known for his solo show, Red-Headed Stepchild, which has toured coast to coast and is available in print from Playwrights Canada Press. His play, Shove It Down My Throat, premiered at Buddies and Bad Times Theatre in 2019. He's held various artist residencies at some very cool places and his latest solo show the heterosexuals premiered at the edmonton fringe festival this summer and will make its toronto debut at factory theater this november november is like a few days away at the time of recording if you're in toronto check it out johnny is also a founding member of queer burlesque troupe boylesque to for whom he's written and hosted dozens of shows performed across north america and all of those fun things he is also a dj and producer of long-running monthly queer dance party and drag show hey girl hey so johnny i'm not gonna lie i would much rather talk about a whole bunch of your exploits than some of the things we have in this comic because these all sound fascinating but maybe we could do both by talking through your comics origin story a little bit so yeah tell us about it i know you're a longtime fan of the series like when did you first get into comics so it's it's one of those things where i don't even really remember a time before comics for me i i think probably as soon as i started reading i was you know reading the you know newspaper comics or uh, Archie double digests. I was always begging my parents to get me at the grocery store. And <laughs> my dad had read comic books growing up. So I feel like my my mom's from England and I feel like there's a, just, you know, a different kind of culture and relationship to comics and sequential art there. And like, <laughs> she absolutely did not get it. Uh, but my dad would buy me comic books because he was like, oh, I grew up with this. Like, I understand what it is you're doing. And so, so yeah, definitely like Archie was a big way in for me. And I think also something where I, 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 it's not as easy to tell through the medium of podcast, but I am a person with sort of aggressively ginger hair. Uh, right. I'm, I, I, I would say, you know, my, my, I, I'm, I'm a person of, of extreme coloring and, um, there, it, it, when you're, especially like as, as a boy growing up, there's, there's not that many examples in media and in the culture of like ginger role models. It's like a weird thing to, I mean, I kind of wrote a whole solo show about this, so it's like a real, you know, thing for me, but something that I, I realized later in life. So it's like, oh, I feel like because of, you know, the specifics of dyes used in comic books, especially especially in earlier times, there is an unusual number of comic book characters with red hair. And I think that that's something that mm -hmm. always like really brought me into comics. Cause I was like, Oh, they're like Archie. Here's a protagonist who like looks vaguely like me. Where else am I going to find that in media? Like <laughs> absolutely nowhere. And really it's just, you know, coming from a time where here's, you know, a third hair color we can give someone and they still get to be a white person. And that's like yeah. sort of what's going on. Right. <laughs> But it, it was very exciting for me. And it's, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like now, uh, you know, we see so many, uh, it, it gets adapted back to the screen and almost never do you see an actual ginger person playing <laughs> yeah. a ginger comic book character. Uh, that's, that's, that's a whole other diatribe I could go off on. All that to say, hair color, <laughs> Archie comics, yes. But then it's the 90s, right? And... <laughs> Uh, and the X-Men cartoon just mm -hmm. absolutely, like, blows my little mind. 
And, you know, I just, I remember it, I was in elementary school, it was the talk of the playground, and it just absolutely captivated my imagination. And I, so my way into the X-Men and into Marvel Comics was really through all of this sort of other stuff. Like it was through like Pizza Hut tie-ins. It was through, uh, you know, X-Men mouse pads, action <laughs> figures, cartoons, trading cards, which was also in, I just remember at recess and at lunch at school, like trading the X-Men cards was mm. a huge activity. It was, uh, I had those binders with the special page inserts so that you could mm -hmm. put all of your cards together. Sometimes they would form an image, which was very exciting if you could collect them all. And that was interesting too, because, you know, I think for, for any of us, like once you start reading Marvel comics at any point, pretty much, you're diving into the middle of something that's been going on for decades and decades. And it's a lot, right? You're like, how am I supposed to catch up? And the cards were kind of a great way in of like, here's all of the important people. Here's a bunch of the events. So I feel like I was, I was getting sort of primed on the major characters and storylines through the cards and through the cartoon. I remember when they did the Phoenix Saga on the X-Men cartoon. And I think, yeah. I don't know if this, I, I believe that they did something where like they were showing it in prime time every day at seven for a week. I don't know if that was just something that was going on locally or, but I, I was so excited and I set my VCR every day. Cause I was like, I don't even know what the Phoenix Saga means, but it sounds... <laughs> really fucking important and I mm -hmm. and one day I was playing in the park with some neighbor friends and I missed an episode and I wept I was oh. so <laughs> I was so devastated I was like I am not gonna understand the next thing that happens in this saga suddenly all of these Shi'ar are there I didn't know what was going on oh, no. so I was I was hooked. And then somewhere along the way, I think through getting the cards and seeing the characters and, and sort of thinking like, I've got to find, you know, where's my avenue in the world of X-Men? Because I knew there were so many different comic books and different spinoffs. And it was very intimidating. And then I had, I got the Nightcrawler action figure that came with a trading card. And I was oh. like, who is this blue person? He had suction cups on his <laughs> hands and his knee. knee. <laughs> so he, yeah, he, I, he would stick to my window and, you know, gaze at me. And I was like, I just am fascinated by this blue person with the tail and the fingers. And I want to know more. And at the same time, there was this older boy at my school I would trade X-Men cards with, and he also just seemed to have a ton of comics. And he would bring in at lunch a stack of usually X-Men classics. And I remember, you know, reading a bunch of, you know, Chris Claremont X-Men yeah. comics and getting a lot of backstory there. And... He told me, I think, about Excalibur, and I was like, okay, so there's like a whole book about this Nightcrawler character. That's very interesting to me. And I started going to the comic book store and picking it up. And I don't remember specifically what my first issue was, but it would have been somewhere around this point. You know, I think it was somewhere between this and the beginning of the Warren Ellis run. Definitely it was like, it was Ken Lashley days. And I was, I was really hooked. But what was interesting, so I was starting at this point. So the first versions 
of like Megan and Brian Braddock that I saw were the ridiculous ones that appear here. Yeah. This like Britannic, <laughs> and I mean, I think maybe for a hot second they were calling her Tapestry, uh, which is a terrible superhero name. But then I, at the same time, I would go to the comic book shop and I was really, I was like, oh, but I, I, I'm, I'm interested in like the history of this too. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go buy issue number one and see where it all began. And I'd look through the long boxes and I'd be like, ooh, there's all these special editions. I'm going to like, that seems important. I'm going to grab this special edition, which is, I feel like hilarious now because like (laughs) what could be less special or less essential than basically like any single one of those special editions. But you know, it's, I guess like the answer to the question, like why were there so many Excalibur special editions? Like the answer was me because I would absolutely <laughs> buy every single one of them. Because, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. My, I, don't th- I don't know how developed my sense of taste was. I was still a child and I was like, I like Katie Pride. I like Nightcrawler. I, yeah. for some reason, really liked Moira McTaggart. She was a very compelling yeah. character to mm-hmm. me. And I was like, I want to know more about all these people and I'll just follow them through whatever adventures they have. And then, you know, I, I started to see in the bins all of the old Alan Davis covers that had so much humor in them and so many jokes. And I, because, like I said, my... My mother's British and I grew up with a lot of, you know, British television and Monty Python and stuff. And I felt like there was something about this like British offbeat sense of humor that appealed to me. So I would just buy issues based on the cover if I was like, oh, this one looks has a great funny cover. I'm going to read that. So I proceeded like that for a few years and I collected every single issue of Excalibur and pretty much every single tie-in. And sp- I discovered later that I had not actually got, uh, I, had, I didn't have Weird War 3 and didn't read that <laughs> until I was an adult. Thank God. My God. That's, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm exposed to it now. Yeah. I'm delighted that I was not exposed to it at like age 11. It would have absolutely traumatized me. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, so I had this weird experience, though, of reading the entire run of Excalibur, but completely out of order. And just yeah. jumping back and forth, going on a real cross-time caper, and just being, like, popping in, <laughs> you know, sort of reading forward from around, you know, 76 to the end, and then just going back and forth and, and letting my mind kind of fill in the gaps. And then when the book ended, sort of, I think, around the time I was about to start high school and became very concerned about what other people thought about me and thought was cool. And I was like, here's a great jumping off point to just stop reading comics altogether. And I did. Yeah. Uh, and I really, I gave up superhero comics in high school, except for... I think it was like the summer after I graduated high school, I was like 18, and I found my big Excalibur collection. And I was like, I wonder what it would be like to read this all the way start to finish, because I had never done it. And that, I remember, really blew my mind. And that was really, you know, I, I was older enough from when I had first read it that uh, there was so much more that I was able to get from it. Than I had initially and to appreciate you know the the long-term plotting and also just the gorgeousness of Alan Davis's art and yeah just to sort of see how it how all of those storylines just go on and culminate and and then just to to really be devastated by like the creative switch over after the days of future storyline I, I remember being gutted 
when I, because yeah. I had never read it in order and quite realized how abrupt a shift that was and how many characters were just suddenly gone. And that, yeah, that was, that was kind of devastating. A- anyway, so then that's where I come at from comics. As an adult, I would dive a bit back in. Um, I, when I, when I met my, my husband, when we first started dating, he was uh, a graphic novelist. Uh, oh. And yeah, he has a, he's a beautiful graphic novel memoir called I'm Crazy. That's when the Zerit grants. We had a moment where we were, oh, wow. uh, you know, hanging hanging around TCAF and stuff a lot. Yeah, he doesn't really do comics Ooh. anymore, but we had we had a moment of it. And I just remember, you know, on one of our first dates, having some pillow talk where he was like, "So, who's your favorite X Men?" And I was like, "Oh my <laughs> god, like, we, this is so exciting!" And I was like, "Mine's Nightcrawler," <laughs> and he was like, "Mine's Psylocke," and we had so much to talk about. <laughs> um, Identifiable. And- yeah no and I remember in those early days I was like hmm he's got like all of why the last man and trade I was, I've got to keep this guy in the mix at least until I can finish borrowing these and then you know flash forward to, to 14 years later and yeah and so we would sort of together I think dive back in to certain Marvel comics uh you know like a squirrel girl or or a, a silver surfer or We've done, you know, the Joss Whedon uh, X-Men and the Grant Morrison, the Rick Remender Uncanny X-Force. We did Hawks Pox, uh, have not kept going because it seems just like a, a lot of work to keep up with John yeah, of X, but <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed Hawks Pox. And, you know, I was I was thrilled to see Moira back in action, frankly, in, in any capacity. Yeah, and then at, at some point, I remember um, as a present, Adam, my, my husband, just, uh, he started buying me trades of the uh, early issues of Excalibur, and uh, I hadn't read them in so long. And so I had up until, I have in trade about up until the end of the Cross Time Caper. And uh, so I had I had read those a bit more recently, but it's only, yeah, in, in Finding Your Podcast that I went and went back to my mom's house and found my old floppies. And I was like, well, what happens after Cross Time Caper? Because I have... <laughs> I've got I've got the issues and I can find out and I've I've dived back in in that way yeah and that's I, I think that that's that's my origin story I guess yeah <laughs> I love that I'm like <laughs> there's so much yeah I have like those trades as well like I have like three different copies of so many Excalibur issues and I was like I've read I've read those trades so much that they're like falling apart because it's like so nice to have it and just like revisit it and like yeah you talking about that experience of revisiting it at various times I'm just like yes exactly I like so many of your favorite things if you're that kind of person like you end up revisiting every five years or something and like thinking about your relationship to it and how it's changed like over the years and like obviously that's like the entire project that we're doing with this podcast so I'm very on your wavelength with with that it's gratifying to know that you know earlier versions of yourself had some level of taste that you can still stand behind <laughs> to yeah. some degree, right? Nice that it and, works out that way. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just sort of like, oh yeah, this is there's there's a reason why I was thirsty for Kurt Wagner before I even <laughs> fully understood what that meant. Uh, and now you know, I, I have um, I have a very dreamy Kevin Wada prints of him oh. on the wall in my office which I'm like yeah a 12 year old me would have been equally into this particular work of art 
I personally love that you said you're not an academic, but then you gave like a brilliant um, yes. sort of re- reading of, of Archie and redheaded comics as representation mm-hmm. in like, which I would, which, <laughs> which like, I mean, Andrew and, and Anna have talked about, you know, suckering me into accidentally making a, a, a sequential scholars post. I mean, I think you have something there with the red hair versus the color of the dye. Like I'm just saying, Oh my God. It's something I've thought about so much. And if you yeah, honestly, my show redheaded stepchild, I have, I have plenty to say about, about it but i think about it a lot in terms of excalibur because obviously you have you know iconic ginger queer badass rachel summers with Mm -hmm. uh, a powerfully dikey mullet of gorgeous Mm -hmm. hair and uh and then i think i you know i always kind of related to nightcrawler too because i was like this guy looks as weird as i feel about the way that i look and yeah. yet he manages to be so charming and sexy and confident in his appearance. And I've, I found both of them actually, I think, really empowering as characters to project oh, onto. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're speaking my language. Just basically agree. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I want to talk with you about it a little bit more, and I want to talk about Lashley a little bit more, too, uh, and get your gaze on that a little bit. But uh, let's do the issue summary, and then we will get into some of those topics. And yes, we will get to Amanda Sefton. We will talk about her as well. Promise, promise. So I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We'd probably, almost certainly, forgive you for throwing us over a waterfall as a baby if you later threw yourself (laughs) over a waterfall to save us. I mean, I don't know how these things work. But before we It's like poetry. It rhymes. (laughs) I know. I know, right? I hold grudges. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think that's fair, but you know, whatever. (laughs) But before we tangle with the twisted moralities of the Darkholm and Sardos clans, let's get reacquainted with an issue summary. Excalibur 76 opens in Cottbus, Germany, where the demon Despair, remember him, holds Margali Spardos, remember her, prisoner. They watch as the citizens below break out into race riots spurred by Despair's influence. Margali warns that Despair's gloating will be short-lived. I wrote this summary really quickly while eating dinner. Elsewhere in Mississippi, Nightcrawler is in the hospital recovering from wounds sustained in X-Men Unlimited number four. Amanda Sefton, aka Day Tripper, strides into the room and finds Kurt flirting with the nurses upside down in a hospital gown, somehow still suitable for work, sort of. Amanda tells him they need to go to Germany to help Margali, uses her magic to change their clothes, and together they jump out of the window, rekindling their bonds in the process. Back on Muir Island, Kitty is all of us, falling asleep at her desk with a dragon on her shoulder. While she's sleeping, a call arrives from her father, Cameron Pride. Because she forgets how to work a phone, or maybe let's just blame Lockheed, Kitty misses the call, then finds herself rushing toward a commotion in the hangar. In the hangar, Rory is trying to stop Britannic from leaving with the ship. The guy who used to be Brian says that he's on a mission and cannot be stopped. Megan, still in her ethereal quote-unquote true form and uh, slightly off let's say says that they need to let him go that he needs to complete his mission whatever that is kitty wasn't doing anything anyway so they all get in the ship and leave rory watching them go finally kurt and amanda arrive in east germany where amanda finally tells them a little bit of what's going on with margali amanda is exhausted from managing the cross-continent teleport so she takes a little rest while kurt scouts out the locale <laughs> quickly running into a young gypsy boy being tormented by the mob kurt tries to intervene but gets hit in the head with a brick before he can teleport away we conclude with Kurt unconscious as the mob closes in. It's like a weird issue to summarize. Like, I feel like sort of nothing (laughs) happens. But anyway, I'm getting into first impressions. Mm -hmm. So let's go to our first impressions. And the floor is yours, Johnny, for initial reactions to rereading this issue. What are you particularly interested to talk about, if anything? Well, it's very sexy. And I think that that's (laughs) maybe like 
the you know the best thing I can say about about it. it. It is. I mean, you have this kind of ridiculous upside down Nightcrawler cover, which is a nice sort of, I guess, little foreshadowing to, as you know, we've already discussed quite a bit, the gravity defying Hospital Nighty, which I don't know. I, that was one of those ones where I turned the page and saw that image and was like, oh yeah, this. (laughs) I've looked at this page before. Mm -hmm. The way that it somehow clings to every one of his muscles. I and and then it's it took me a while to look at it too and realize that it's like, oh, but is it it's not quite that it's defying gravity. His tail is discreetly holding the dangly bit of the gown over his dick <laughs> which which is amazing it's just it's just gripping it it's just it's just clip, clipping it in place uh which is a you know if you had a tail a thing you could do i was gonna make For a joke of- about starch but you're right yeah i, I never i've never noticed that before <laughs> he's just gently gently discreetly holding yeah. it together so as not to shock the nurses it's very very gentlemanly um, no prize awarded for sure <laughs> <laughs> I, a lot of plot wise a lot of this issue definitely feels like set up right i mean we're not gonna get to the heart of what is going on with margali and despair and everything until the next issue i read ahead and i feel like we're we're, we're not gonna figure out what's going on with britannic or with kitty's dad for i don't even know how long like that's all kind of yeah there's all there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of setup here but i don't know i i, I think like Margali has always kind of captivated my imagination and I it's hard to explain why I'm always pleased to see her she makes no sense but that's like baked into the character (laughs) in the most brilliant way nothing she does has to be consistent she doesn't have to be drawn in any way the same is she green Does she have horns? Is she an old woman? Is she kind of like a sexy babe? Does she like it? It was like, well, that's the whining way, and that's the answer to everything. And what are you gonna say? That it's just like, well, you don't. You that's just, there's something you don't understand about the whining way, and then everyone's yeah. like, oh right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did carry on, Margali. Do whatever it was you were up to. Yeah, no, there's something to that though, because I think to the extent that I'm interested in Nightcrawler's family, it is that there are so many questions, and then every time somebody like does the backstory or redoes the backstory, it raises more questions without ever answering any of them. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. not great storytelling but does make you like want to know more <laughs> and th- i mean this issue really feels in many ways like a sequel to the x-men unlimited issue uh, about yeah. mystique yeah. And, and everything right oh, i mean yeah. much more than it feels like a follow-up to rachel as the phoenix for the last time because <laughs> um you know we're all very broken up about that apparently Who? No, I'm sorry, I'm not Rachel. I'm not familiar with this person. Could you enlighten me? <laughs> I know it's it, it's not like she's the whole reason that Excalibur became a team in the first place, or that mm-hmm. that the last time she died and went to space, Nightcrawler was completely depressed and devastated. And but I don't know. I mean, at this point, like they also uh, have completely forgotten about the teenage boy who was in their care. Uh, so in the garden he's there (laughs) they didn't really like him anyway you know (laughs) that is the really weird detail like that they were like okay so we're gonna just put megan and Farron on ice together and not worry about them for a while and then it's like no she's back now where the where is he We will see him again. Oh, I know. We'll 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 learn the answer to that question in in issue one twenty four. 
Hold on, kids, because then in a year you'll know. But you know, this is whatever the UK equivalent of child protective services really like needs to be informed. It's not okay. I know, I know. I mean, I, I, we are not fans of that character on this podcast, and yet I have to admit he's getting a raw deal here. I mean, I am worried about him. I mean, he is a child. I'm a bit um, of a fair on apologist. I know he's not. I, I. <laughs> And I I know I've listened to the pod. I know you're not all fans, but I I kind of liked him. I I was sorry that like he got Aww. dumped along with the entire supporting cast of the book in a way yeah. that I don't really understand. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the something that that just happens like with that shift. It's like yes, like characters like Farron and Micromax and Cerise and Kylan are way less developed than you know your core cast, but they've also just like they've had a lot less time to. Yeah do so and i think they all kind of you know they they were unlikable but it's some in sometimes in like interesting ways or i mean cerise frankly i think was just a delight i very likable yeah. uh i don't know i just feel like why i they don't they didn't get the chance to have more stories like the, the, the potential of their further stories in which we would really fall in love with them and understand why they needed to be part of the team gets cut off at the knees and i mean it just this whole er this period specifically of the book just feels so between eras because even it's yeah. you know i think people talk a lot about how you know they dumped all of these actual members of excalibur but then i started thinking about it and it's like well but it's not just that it's the entire huge supporting cast that the book has had to this point that disappears right like yeah. roma and and the saturnines are gone Tecna, crazy gang Wolves, Di Thomas, the Stewarts, Amelia Witherspoon, like everyone's gone. There's nobody left in this comic book. I know, I know. And then it feels so weird, right? Because, wait, well, I mean, the letter that I picked out to read is sort of like that. Like, you know, where did all of these people go? And it isn't just like the people, it's the tone as well. And it's just like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's a big change it is what it is it's marvel uk basically in my eyes that yeah. gets wiped out like, like yeah. all of those elements were marvel uk elements and I, they just wanted it to be another american x-book so away yeah. they went it's curious to me in a way that they didn't just cancel the book and start fresh <laughs> yeah well i mean the x line was such a big deal i mean it was it's so different now because like now it's so unusual to get a comic book run of like any length i mean you look at the current x-men books they're always relaunching like after six issues so it's just like but it was different then you know like having a continuous title it's like you wanted to keep those going for a certain kind of brand recognition and loyalty and now with the trade market and the digital market and stuff it's become so right. different but yeah the market and that's what it is i mean the marketplace is entirely floppies month-to-month -month floppies are an afterthought subscription model mm -hmm. at this point yeah. was the bread and butter of the comic book industry mm -hmm. make sure they come back next month now it's all about the trades you know the the monthlies are there for old people like us to just have a reason to hang out at the comic book store that's that's all they exist for they're not paced that way anymore so it functionally makes more sense to tell people at the beginning of a story arc hey this is number one this is chapter one brian michael bendis wrote something about it years and years ago where a fan a fan complained to him it's like well when you guys 
guys going to go back to just you know long term numbering? This is when Marvel was relaunching every every title every six months throughout. He said we're not because for one thing, number ones sell better than anything else because people yeah. just like number ones because they're dumb. But also, um, <laughs> he, he he didn't say that, but he sort of implied it's like they sell better. So as long as you keep buying more number ones, we're going to keep doing it. But then he's also like, but given that we are functionally telling you, even if the creative team stays the same and the characters stay the same, we're telling you this is the beginning of the story. The long-term numbers are that people fell in love with are a vestige of a publishing system you know that existed for the newsstand a publishing system that hasn't existed in decades so people got mm. people people fell in love with it but it doesn't actually matter to their business plan there's no real compelling business reason for marvel to keep going and going it actually helps them more to do what they're doing they're so they've kind of made this concession in recent years where they just put two numbers on it they put like yeah, the legacy number and yeah. that which but that's just to make old people happy because like realistically the the numbering scheme it doesn't make sense um Bendis was right I mean I don't always think Bendis is right but in that in this case he was it it doesn't you said it yourself Johnny you said like it's it's kind of it's almost intimidating when you join a when you're when you pick up comics Mm because no matter what you join in and you're like oh my god there's 60 years of history where do I jump on and a number one is is the writer's way and Marvel's way of saying here you jump on right here this is the place to jump on it's number one so that's why they did it well um I want to talk about Ken Lashley Kurt a little bit more specifically but I'll pick up your first impressions um Andrew Mav quickly first because I haven't heard much from you Andrew so anything you're particularly excited to talk about is it Amanda Sefton it is um but (laughs) my, my first thought on this issue is coming back something johnny was saying about the, the the structure of this as a setup issue one of the things that i really liked about um early excalibur in particular was that the setup issues tended to be the best issues because they were the ones that weren't just setting up plot they were also setting up character dynamics so you got to see um those internal tensions being developed for the first time and i think there's a little bit of that being attempted here one of the problems with it is that they're operating on the model of let me just tell you what i'm thinking um rather than exploring it but the one that i i thought had a huge amount of potential was the idea that Kurt's response to trauma would be to sort of fall back into a swashbuckling persona and just hit on nurses. Um, yeah. I, I thought that was actually really cool as a way of like, like showing uh, what that persona means to Kurt and how it sort of um, insulates and protects him. Um, and then like they jumped out of the hospital window and the, the issue was kind of all downhill for me from there. Um, but I was yeah. liking the instinct there. I was liking the impulse. Yeah, I mean, that's very in character. I mean, he has often responded to life traumas by <laughs> going hard into that person and falling back into an old relationship too i mean i'm kind of making it work a little bit because we're not really given that psychological complexity for the duration of this relationship but i think that is something that you could bring to it in terms of yeah what kind of goes on with the two of them like they oh anyway i'm getting ahead of myself i have a lot of like amanda thoughts too we'll we'll get to it we'll have lots more comics to talk about or two so we don't have to talk about all this stuff today but um did you have any first impressions you want to hit on before we move on to a couple Um, other i mean i'm much the same i i didn't hate this then i don't hate it now it's not a great story it's fine for a you know the beginning of this i don't there's a everything that's the fight in germany i don't actually care um because it's like because it's a meaningless fight it's a hey we need to have an action beat here but i I mean i I hinted at it in my beginning i'll say it now because it's not really part of the amanda relationship other than the fact that she is a girlfriend like i will talk about the sister thing later but like the fact that kurt here's my first impression is the fact that kurt jumps into this and if i want to give him a reason to mourn um to mourn rachel because the book doesn't the book never has a member of x 
caliber mentioned Rachel. She has mentioned oh, in a caption. God. Not one of them brings her up. But if someone close to you dies and you are the kind of person who's like, I am depressed. I'm going to go out and get laid. Hey, there's a convenient ex-girlfriend. Yeah. I'm okay with Kurt being that guy because yeah. Kurt's oh, yeah. been that guy before. Yeah. And I'm more okay with Kurt being that guy than I am with him going, I'm depressed because my friend just died and my current girlfriend, also depressed, wants to kiss. Yeah, yeah. No, we can't kiss two weeks later. So for for me, I was like, hey, better. This is not, this yeah. is better. This is a, mm-hmm. this is at least trying. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's the same, but I'm saying this was a look up for that moment and that moment alone where I'm like, you know what? Sure, he's going to try to pick up some nurses. Oh, okay, there's a girlfriend. She'll do. Like, I, I get that it's slimy, yeah. but if he's hurting, I'm, I'm fine with like, that's a that's a human reaction much more so than uh it's been two weeks we can't kiss yet <laughs> like it makes like, me I feel even worse for cerise now <laughs> right but uh, but then but then my other impression is like you, you talk about the fact that we're not going to talk about theron the fact that cerise who i don't know who cerise is like if i've never heard of cerise i would she wouldn't be brought up here there's no oh i'm sure you're still trying to get over your ex-girlfriend can i help that would at least be something like there's nothing there's cerise is just gone and we're never going to mention her again we will but it's going to be 100 it's gonna be 50 issues um the um same and same thing with theron theron gone kylan gone so those bits being dropped from continuity bother me in that they are doing that fresh start but i like the characterization that they're going for that ashford and liddell and lashley they're going for a version of these characters whom i recognize not brian and megan but the x characters i recognize who they are uh are they the best written they've ever been no but i recognize who they are more than i have in the last 15 issues oh yeah no that's fair i mean i i like i like mm-hmm. the page too where kitty's asleep at the computer i mean that's, that's com- that my final thought it's like a little <laughs> bit like i don't mm-hmm. love it but like the image itself i really liked a lot it was very oh, like I was gonna, that was gonna be my final vibe. thought <laughs> so, okay. yep, i'm yes. sorry we can revisit okay. it <laughs> but I, I think it's very telling that you know in the the trauma that kurt and kitty are you know dealing with in this issue and you know dealing with trauma is what excalibur is all about Neither of them are dealing with anything that's happened in an issue of Excalibur, right? Mm, yeah. And when they've just, their last issue was pretty traumatic in its own way, but instead he's dealing with the fallout of X-Men Unlimited. She's dealing with Ileana and the legacy virus. So it's like, yeah, like they're, all, all, all of their feelings are sort of like ways to try to tell you to buy other X-Men comics. Yeah, yeah that's a great <laughs> point. Yeah, like the things that they care about emotionally are getting reoriented around the X-Men franchise to encourage us to reorient ourselves emotionally <laughs> around the X-Men franchise, which is actually very well done in terms of like a focus, but like yeah. frustrating for a long time reader. That is good editorial control. Again, you might not yeah, like yeah. it because this show is just about Excalibur and we're not reading those other books that came out 20 years ago but as far as an editorial mandate it is far better than some other times when marvel comics have had you know a world ending oh, sure. in event yeah. in one comic and then nobody notices in another one so sure i mean it was fine all right i want to talk a little bit more about sexy nightcrawler with you johnny because you were saying like you oh, came please. in kind of <laughs> you came in during the lashley era but then you yeah. went back with the davis era and we've sort of 
been having some kind of conversation sort of signposting that, you know, like we definitely know that there are followers of the pod who really like Ken Lashley's depiction of Nightcrawler as well. It's like, it's not as much for me. I like him sort of like a little bit more like feminine fluid, which is a bit more what Davis brings, even though he's still very masculine and Davis as well. But I appreciate that the gaze exists for Lashley Nightcrawler. So if you're willing, I'd love to hear you talk about how you think that those kind of portrayals are different and like sort of the different appeals that that those different kind of visualizations of this character can have yeah i mean it's it's interesting it's interesting to come back to it now because i just remember seeing these images when they were coming out and it just looked like contemporary comics right like yeah this was the moment and i think for that 90s style where, you know, it's very actiony, it's very aggressive, everyone's kind of scrunching up their faces all the time. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think Ken Lashley has, a, in a way, a kind of gentle touch to that, that he, yeah, yeah, I can he, see that. he gives, he gives you that, but there's something, there's, I think that there is softness inside yeah. of it. And I think the sort of the combination of his line work and the way that the, the coloring process was working at the moment, Nightcrawler's skin looks so beautiful mm-hmm. to me. Uh, and it's, and I mean, it's funny cause we look at these now and I'm sort of like, well, now this looks very dated and of an era, but at the moment of reading this back then, I would have looked back at the Alan Davis stuff and been like, oh, this style looks a bit old fashioned because yeah. what I was seeing on the shelves was this more extreme 90s stuff now when I go back and look at it all I look at Alan Davis and I'm like this is just like timeless and gorgeous and every panel is a feast and you know whereas a lot of the 90s stuff you look at and you're sort of like why are we so crazy about this I don't I don't know. But I don't know. There's there's certain panels in here when he's upside down right after Amanda Sefton magics his costume on and he has this sort of like bemused look on his face that I feel like it's like there's something about this expression that is just so lovable to me. Aww. And like, I don't know, like they do their little kind of doubles pole dance out of the oh, hospital. I, I mean <laughs> it's it's interesting. But like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's different. Yeah. I'm like, back to the question. What's the difference between (laughs) Ken Lashley's and Alan Davis's? I'm not quite sure. Like, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're seeing more bulging muscles all over the place, for sure. But I think that there is, for me, still kind of like a softness and a sort of gymnastic athleticism and something a bit more androgynous about Nightcrawler even in this form for me yeah you know like I don't get the full sort of like roided out screaming like Rob Liefeld cable kind of vibe you know we don't go to that place I mean, Britannic is maybe like pushing those buttons a little bit harder. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, I think you're right too. Like, I mean, especially when I think about, you know, that pan- that page that we keep talking about with the upside down hospital gown, but it's been interesting revisiting Lashley as a penciler because, and we talked about this on a previous episode, but I really see his style kind of developing 
and like his character modeling developing as well because he's drawing Nightcrawler differently than he did like two issues ago and I think he's mm. really kind of developing what his take on the character is and I really appreciate that and yeah I take your point about like softness too there is like kind of a I felt like you know three issues ago he was trying to be like a little bit more hard-lined with his 90s style but I definitely see sort of that curviness that he seems to really like to do when he draws Nightcrawler in particular and he clearly does really like to draw him because he has given him a number of very dramatic spectacular poses and splashes and covers even during his short at this point tenure on the book so like yeah I don't know like yeah I guess I was thinking about I don't think it quite works but I was thinking about sort of the distinction between what we mean when we talk about like cheesecake art versus beefcake art and you know how kind of the appeal of one can be a little bit different but it's always very hard to talk about because gazes are complicated and like those two terms can blend into each other too and they're so Mm -hmm. tied up with gender and like I don't know but I know that we've all thought about these things too but I don't know Mav do you have like thoughts about that at all about cheesecake versus beefcake and which one we're dealing with here I I think that's a whole hour conversation I know Um, I think in (laughs) I think in this issue it's both yeah and I think what makes it work and I think what maybe Johnny's responding to is you just said it's hard to disambiguate them sometimes they you know they bleed into each other and I think Lashley's trying to figure that out you talked about Mm -hmm. the fact that he's he he his Kurt is in transition his other characters are too this is the definitive point you remember when we first started the show I used to try and do the you know look okay Kitty's age is complicated but here's what I know and we did a whole thread on it on, on Twitter that's over lashley knows that kitty needs to be an adult for the rest of this book and if you're wondering kitty is an adult for the for the rest of this book she's clearly at least 18 but she is of a vaguely undefined age and he's trying to figure out how kitty looks too he's trying to figure out how britannic slash brian looks there's a lot of you know look where we are testing things and i believe he deserves the ability to do that as an artist because you know again davis isn't coming back this time it's over so like i'm i'm fine with him working those things out there are things about his style that i love i agree with johnny entirely on the softness of lashley and the cartoonist sensibility mixed with the 90s hard edge style I hate that I'm so aware that he has no penis. Like it bugs me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it bugs me so much because it's it's this weird and and you know what? Like I don't know why because like also his feet are weird and his hands are weird because that's how Nightcrawler is. But the the smoothness, the incredible Barbie like you know Ken like smoothness of his crotch is so bulbous and like yes. round and I'm, so it's just like the smoothness stands out because I am of that, very I aware of it and I, and <laughs> yeah. and because of the way Lashley draws Kurt Spider Manning about all the time, his crotch. Mm-hmm. Is frequently right in my face, and I'm frequently like, "Where's his dick?" Like that, <laughs> like, it, <laughs> yeah. And it's well, weird. Yeah. So, like, I so I, I'm not gonna be. I'm say like I'm 100 the biggest fan of the fan, but like I do appreciate that he's doing a thing, and I'm on board with it because I actually think it fits the style of the story a lot. I like the playfulness and the energy that shows up when Kurt and Amanda are together. And like that shows yeah. up in the art as well as with the story. Like I, you said, you know, like they're pole dancing out of the window together. And I'm like, yeah, so that's good. exactly what they're doing. So and it good. works for me. It works, it works <laughs> for me a lot. And like, okay, like this is the kind 
kind of shit that makes me like it's okay so it's impossible to talk about like any good scenes with Kurt and Amanda because then people do this thing where they moralize your reaction to the story and I'm not, when I say people I'm like some people it's just some people <laughs> but like they do this thing this. where if I was to tweet this page and be like oh this is a sexy page I'm gonna get comments about like you know that's his foster sister right are you into incest and I'm like no I'm not into incest it's just like I didn't make that storytelling decision I just think this is a cute nice scene can I not just have this do I have to feel guilty <laughs> about like some kink that Claremont wrote into this story back in 1980 is not my fault no, why am I have and to why do I have to be beholden to this are we transitioning into that part of the conversation I don't know maybe maybe okay. <laughs> I'm just just we talked about this we talked about this offline before we started I am going into wrestling heel persona at this point for anybody who doesn't who wants oh to God. moralize the moralize against it i i like them together and understand that but like anna's gonna try to be nice i'm not so much <laughs> so, i'm just saying it's really complicated to try and like okay claremont made a decision whether you like that decision or not that's on you if you don't like that decision, there are 59 other years of Nightcrawler history that you can like, <laughs> that you can actually, it's not quite true. How, I think the character she, she's, she's in a lot of, she's in a lot of his history, which is like one right, but of I'm the not, reasons. No, but I'm saying how much, no, I'm saying how much, well, how does yeah. the character of Nightcrawler, and the character of Nightcrawler, I think is like 50 something years old now, right? Like, but anyway, there's plenty of Nightcrawler stories. You could ignore all the ones with any hint of incest if you want to. Don't get hung up on it because, because frankly, there's a lot, there's just a lot of stories, like, right? I'm just like picturing the like the incest free nightcrawler reading list. <laughs> okay, but like okay, if you th if this bothers you, we had we went like, and you and if you think that we're into in into incest, we went hard and deconstructed the relationship between Brian, Jamie, and Betsy in depth for like four episodes. Okay, so so like I, I, it's complicated. What Claremont's doing here is he is playing with fetishization and fetishization has many many meanings in literary theory right now i'm going to go with the vaguely sexual and he is playing on the fact that what makes it interesting to him and to many of their readers is the dangerousness of them yes i realize she's his foster sister but you know what they're fictional characters it is just as gross and or just as hot no actually it's less gross and or hot than what happens on game of thrones because on game of thrones they're actually you know investigating incest taboos it is the exact same as you know hey but kitty is dating peter when she's 13 and he's 19 isn't that gross i mean yeah except that they're fictional characters and this is a thing that people are actually interested in it is a thing that you know it is vaguely interesting the reason that step sibling porn works in modern i mean i made the illusion in my intro the reason that step sibling porn works in modern porn um viewing is that people are into the idea that hey i want to do something dangerous but most cultures rightly have an incest taboo and someone discovered that I can have two people hook up of any gender, you know, male, 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 female, female, male, non-binary. But if I if I make them if I make them siblings, people get grossed out by it, even though they're actors portraying the role. People are less grossed out by the concept of step siblings doing it with each other than they are with like the characters in Game of Thrones where they're supposed to be twins. That grosses them out more. And people will go, oh, this is uncomfortable, but I'm into it. And it's a weird it's a weird little 
dynamic shift. And I'm not everybody. Obviously, not everybody's into any kind of porn. Not everybody's into any kind of erotica. But there's a weird bit where it's a bridge that I want to explore, but having them actually be be related is a bridge too far. So they have the odd bit of, oh, but they're only sort of kind of related. Is it wrong or is it just naughty? Hmm. And you can like worry. And that's what Claremont was doing. And that's what happens with their relationship going forward. And if you don't like it, just ignore it. Amanda's not around that often. She really isn't. She's hmm. a tertiary character. There's my rant. Don't you think it's strange that like as a big taboo thing, though, I feel like they're it's not explored that much you know that was, they that, do- that was exactly gonna be my point right. yeah. like they and don't was- have this sort of cruel intentions vibe no. which might have been like a bit fun but <laughs> i think the thing is though that like i think you can tell that story about that being a real thing that like happens with people but it just like johnny said it's just never been brought up as a taboo in these stories mm-hmm. like at all like i mean i've read all these stories there is exactly one time in 45 years of comics that any character in any of the stories has ever made a comment about hey kurt and amanda being together is kind of weird right it was Iceman in the comic after kurt died when cyclops is writing a letter to amanda and bobby has a comment that's like was she his girlfriend or his sister literally the only time it's mentioned in canon how much do you literally the only though, time right like <laughs> does Mergali ever even say anything about it ever not really no Nope. <laughs> not really. And, 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 she, and she's like, just sort of like, this could be the winding way. I don't know. Like... I feel like but to also, the contrary, there's a suggestion that she wants them to be together for magic reasons. Yeah. Mm, for the winding way. See, this is this is the great like get out of jail card around any part of these people's exactly. backstory is that you can exactly. just say it's the winding way and you're good. But okay, here's my my one question that I legitimately don't know the answer to in their backstory. When Kurt first starts dating Amanda, <laughs> like in X Men. Is he aware that she is Hemaine? No. 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 When they first meet, no, but it doesn't stop him once he is. Yeah. So yeah. how how long are they dating while well, he thinks she is a new person in his life? <laughs> yeah, okay. Have well, they had sex before he discovers that this yeah. is his foster sister? Yes, 100%. Yes. So that, if if there is an element to this in which, like, consent is fucked up and something inappropriate has happened it's in there for me otherwise these people who were foster siblings at a point and then reconnected as consenting adults and started a relationship the the weird never mind the fact that she has not changed her physical appearance and the fact that he doesn't recognize her seems bizarre (laughs) unless you know, unless maybe, you know, you just want to hand wave that perhaps she did was doing some light magic spell on him and it's Clark the winding way. It, Clark Kent uh, looks kind of like Superman. It's fine. He had never, he, he had never seen Himane in a stewardess uniform. Right. So it's like, if she's not wearing that pink headdress, I don't yeah. recognize her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which? Why isn't that her superhero costume? I that's know. that's my <laughs> biggest dis- my biggest gripe with this comic is that. <laughs> How much better would this playful pole dance be if she was in the pink number? 
Yeah, I think she shows up in an issue of Doctor Strange wearing it one of those random, like one of the very few times the Sardoses show up in a comic not written by Chris Claremont and not late Excalibur. But um, but yeah, like you actually brought up something that is sort of important to the fanon surrounding Amanda, which is one of the reasons why she is a, let's say, controversial character like within Nightcrawler fandom. I mean, there's a couple of things. So it's like the incest foster siblings thing it's a problem for a lot of fans of Nightcrawler because of the pathologization of his sexuality inherent in that, you know, a lot of people, it's really important to think about him as a sex positive character, including me. And so people hit on that to kind of pathologize his sexuality, even though it doesn't really make sense. He doesn't like go for sisters. It's just this one person. It's not really like <laughs> thing, but he's not still... involved in, with Rogue. It, yeah. Like, so would they, well, would they other than that one what if story in which he was, but still. Yeah, that, I know. But, not really but are people him. weird about it in the same way? Are people weird about it in the same yes. way? Yes. Yes, people are weird about the Rogue One, and people do call that incest too. I, it's fandom. He barely, it knows is what that. it is. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's not my it would, fault. It, it would, it, it, okay. And here, it weirds me out far more when he gets in, in when, and again, I'm gonna be healed on this episode. I am b- bothered far more by people who ship Kurt and Kitty together in the primary continuity than I am with Kurt and Kurt and Amanda. Kitty is too much a little sister to him, and I don't care that there's no oh, yeah. blood relationship. He raised her as a little sister in a way that Amanda and he are peers and I get why it's weird but it bugs me far more now I, I mean it's different if you're doing like the like the cartoon continuity where they're, where they're closer in age but like it bothers me far more when Kurt and Kitty are together than it does for Kurt and, for Kurt and Amanda or poor Kitty and Colossus it bugs me like I find Oof. it I find it I, I find it real uncomfortable so there you go I mean but this like, is just I don't, I don't want to, to like yeah, no, I don't want it to just evolve into a thing about which ships that because I mean every okay. Yeah. So one of the weird things about X Men, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like a show where everybody works together. So like every romance is going to be a workplace romance. So like basically right. all of the relationships are skeezy because the X Men yes. are a family, and if we're gonna push mm-hmm. the found family thing, it's all incest. <laughs> so right. like that makes right. it a little but they bit have no weird. Support, but they barely have a supporting cast. So what are you gonna do, right? There are very. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you get? You got like your options of people to date who aren't x-men or new mutants on some level and therefore family are i don't know stevie <laughs> Tom <laughs> yeah. like it, the, the, the options the options are real limited you know so. yeah but well, it's also like how celebrities date other celebrities like you go to be with someone who's from your world and understands what's going on I mean, of course mm-hmm. the x-men are going to date the x-men <laughs> makes sense but the other See, thing i, I did want to the other thing that, i anyway go ahead Andrew. oh I, I don't think i agree with that just in the way that claremont originally wrote them like like one of the things he was very conscious of was was not pursuing those incestuous relationships in most cases we could argue that's yeah, what amanda yeah. sefton originally was you look at mm-hmm. wolverine and marco banshee and moira which is quasi incestuous like a lot of the characters were developing relationships outside of it storm everybody thought was going to hook up with one of the x-men but mm-hmm. nope it's this random dude who takes away her powers that she ends up actually pursuing so well, i think claremont amanda's them a supporting cast right. yeah exactly yeah the, i mean like lately i mean claremont had a supporting cast for them x-men in modern continuity they live on an island where no one who's not like them can go and that's and the same thing with i mean even here they live on mer island like there aren't just like random people around there's no there's no random people at the lighthouse even right like they don't the cast are much smaller in these books than than they are in you know in avengers when they're living in the middle of of new york city somebody could go on a date 
date with poor old Rory Campbell. <laughs> no, I, I mean, no. that would have happened had Rachel stayed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I'm, 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 the only reason I'm glad she's gone. not to not see that continue but like but yeah but i mean but part of it too is that we're always trying to do relationship drama in these spaces so it's just like it just becomes a thing where you're gonna like when you name any of the relationships that the x-men have had with other x-men like they're all weird in some sense and again this is why i hate talking about this because now it seems like i'm like defending incest and i don't want to like put my foot in my (laughs) mouth that's not like what i'm trying to do here it's just Mm -hmm. like pointing out some of the ways that these things are complicated and also pointing out the ways that I try to kind of like massage this a little bit to make it work for myself because I do like a lot of scenes with Kurt and Amanda together. It doesn't bother me that they have this like circus family life together. I think the only weird thing to me is that they were dating while she was like yeah. lying about her identity. That's that's the part that is is strange and feels kind of unexplored. And that's yeah, on her, not on him. And people and people lie sometimes. Yeah. I mean it's it's and and it also, you know, their relationship has not been perfect because Kurt knows, and before this and after this, there are pl- times when they have problems because Kurt knows at the end of the day, she's not an honest person. He loves her, but he knows she's a liar. And that's a thing that always plagues Amanda. Yeah, I mean, so. I sort of like, as much as I'm saying, like, I like a lot of stuff of their scenes together, I do view this as a deeply troubled relationship. And I think it mm-hmm. always has been. And like, I think that that's, again, one of the things that's interesting about it. But like, I did want to hit on one of the other things that Johnny pointed out about the lying thing because that's another like fan and Amanda thing so a lot of fans perceive like Amanda as like being problematic for Kurt in that context like some people take it to like a place of they consider her abusive towards him so there's a few different things it's the lying thing it's sort of the whole context of their relationship where like she's older than him you know she's the biological daughter you know she's somebody that is beautiful that can pass as normal and when you think about him as a foster sibling within that context there's some weird power dynamics there and then that gets exaggerated with the lying thing and that's the basis of their adult relationship and then there's a bunch of stuff too and we even get some of it here where like she's never honest with him about like anything that's going on with Margali or their family and then there's some later stuff like in the 2004 Nightcrawler solo it comes out that like she had put the soul sword inside of his body without his knowledge and like a ton of people get killed because of this Mm -hmm. and so things like that are a problem right yeah yes but she's i mean she's she lies she is a she's yeah no totally it's manipulative and i i agree with that i and i agree it's interesting i think people are harder on her because they're sexist she is far better a person than charles xavier or any number of 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 manipulative (laughs) males charles xavier tony stark um like there are lots of lying superheroes out there Mm -hmm. who lie because i know better and she put she put the sword and fight inside of kurt because she thought she was doing it for the greater good the kinds of things that professor x does on the daily you know like literally every other issue and it's uh, so i yes it's a it's a problem it makes her not the best person in the world like it makes her it makes her batman you know like that's like a thing that like anti-hero-ish heroes do and you're supposed to think it's problematic you shouldn't have done that i hope you do better until the next time that you do this exact same thing so yeah i I like yeah no i I, but but she's but she, I get, yeah. she, 
I get the problems. I mean, I, they're not yeah. people aren't wrong for criticizing her. That's what makes her problematic. But like, let's not pretend that this is an unforgivable sin in the world of superhero comics. This is oh, yeah. normal. I think yeah. I just miss Cerise, to be honest. Like in the context oh. of this issue. <laughs> I'm just like, I preferred Cerise. I think she had oh, more comedic potential. I think she had a cooler look. I loved I loved Cerise. I think she was such a great girlfriend for Nightcrawler. And I don't, do we find that like this Amanda, who has returned to Excalibur, Day Tripper, as she, for, for whatever reason, she's a Beatles <laughs> fan. What, I feel like that's like making your superhero name Tourist. Like, I don't get it at all. <laughs> but it's... It's a pun. Nightcrawler, day tripper. I it's know, literally yeah. together. Yeah. It's so but like, lame. but she's on a day trip. Like, I. It's it's weird. <laughs> I, it, but like, how how consistent is this this version of her with previous mm. uh, appearances of Amanda Sefton? Like, I feel like she's she's showed up as this kind of like a, a, empty pupiled '90s bad girl with a sort of bizarre costume and sort of uh, like an omnipotent power set like i find she's a bit out of control for me yeah and she was basically incompetent last with magic last time we saw her like i don't know when when's that mer island story like probably like two years before yeah yeah so she so she's so yeah she just majorly glowed up in power off panel um yeah she's basically dr strange now yes yep because yeah. we need I mean, we need her to be a badass so she is she couldn't she could not conjure clothing correctly two years ago yeah there was there was an influence there yeah I'm just i i think that's sort of what draws me to her as a character though sometimes too because i just oh got this horrible example because it brings up a whole other host of problematic things but it does remind me of like the good thing like the good central conceit of something like mists of avalon where it's like you have like a character who was like misunderstood who like you know in more Ghana in that case like who did all these things and like then you get her side of the story and you see all the different ways that you know she was influenced to do these various things and how she thought she was doing good things and you get all like sort of the nuance and backstory of that character and then to me in my mind there's a version of that for Amanda like all of these she has such an interesting story I mean she like comes from Germany goes to America becomes a flight attendant she's pulled through the demands of like the normalcy of that versus like the demand that she carry on Margali's legacy she has the Her relationship with Kurt and the X-Men this yep. too this too mm-hmm. and so like she's such a fascinating character and I have this picture in my mind like of all the things that she must be doing off panel like even when we get from like you know Uncanny 204 which is like the last time she and Kurt saw each other to here where I agree Johnny she is a very different character in that issue versus here and yet I think about all the adventures she must have had between then and now to get to where she is now and I'm like oh I really wish that we had that story and she's like one of the characters that I'm like I could fix her I could fix her so easily (laughs) give me an eight pager I could fix her I could fix this whole thing and make everybody love her I know it I have it in me someday someday she's still working as a flight attendant too right as far as we know yeah on the side that's great I would love if Dr. Strange was also a flight attendant you know like Yeah, it so comes great. up later that she's still working as a flight attendant. All right, like there's lots of other stuff we could talk about. I like we we're, we're going long, so I'll just sort of leave it up to what people want to talk about. We didn't talk about the racial allegory stuff in this comic, and I don't know how much we want to talk about it. I mean, the one thing I did just want to mention because we haven't mentioned it, and I think it's a little bit relevant to this story, is the fact that Ken Lashley is a black man, and we have like this racial politics story going on 
here and there's some interest to that context it wasn't that common to be like a black artist at the big two at this time it was becoming a little bit more common but still not that common but I don't know if anybody has any thoughts about I mean my one thing about it that I thought was interesting was like emphasizing Kurt's sort of ties to his Romani heritage which is something that a lot of people forget or like let slide but it's very foregrounded here with sort of his his trying to help the they say gypsy in this comic but Romani boy but um yeah I don't know did we find this interesting at all I'll come to you with it Johnny what I appreciated about it and I think is a, is great for Excalibur the book is that with the Romani boy you've got a sympathetic Romani character who looks non-white who is not because like our other sympathetic characters with Romani heritage tend to look like uh blonde supermodels for some reason yeah, yeah. Uh, which you know and I feel like you especially with with Megan and she's in the UK and the Romani diaspora is complicated and there are a lot of you know white passing Romani sure but, <laughs> but it's, it's still the you fact know, that we have two that look like Barbies is kind yeah of we've lot. got we've got <laughs> we've got two Romani Barbies in the book and that's a lot and I appreciated seeing the way that that boy is drawn and colored that you're sort of like he's not white He's a he's clearly like an, an object of sympathy in this story. He's not like a scheming old man who turns into Frankenstein or something, you know, like it's it's nice. I was like good, good for Excalibur to have this character. I appreciated the effort. I did. I yeah. Did. Other thoughts about it, Andrew and Matt, before we go to some final thoughts. I think there's kind of a delicate metaphor there when you do that personification of prejudice in the form of despair or something like that. I think it works as an interesting way to explore and villain code prejudice, but that, that only gets you so far. And there's this risk of kind of portraying human beings as being, um, I don't know, let off the hook a little bit in, in terms yeah. of their violent nature by saying, you know, it wasn't me, it was despair or it was the devil or it was the shadow king. So it's always made me really, really uncomfortable. Uh, when comics writers do that. Like as I said, it has potential, but I think you need to do something with it. And I'm not sure where exactly we're going with despair in this issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, I mean, I, I'm going to defend the issue a little bit. Like a lot of the captions do go really hard on like, Germany's like this anyway. This was happening anyway. Yeah. They just wouldn't have been like hitting each other over the head if despair wasn't here. And I did find the deliberateness of some of those captions interesting interesting because it really seemed like it was aware of that problem and kind of was trying to address it even though I don't think it addresses it successfully but the signposting of like them knowing they had to address it I guess I found interesting because I mean they did go really hard on like <laughs> man Germany's hella racist in this comic book and that was interesting frankly I mean again it doesn't really go anywhere but I did still find it interesting yeah I can see that did you have any thoughts about this map before we go to some it's, final wrap-up I mean, thoughts I nothing short it's it's trying to do something that I yeah, don't that's a, think nothing that short they are it. yeah they are they are not prepared for this because it's not just it's not just the race they're also trying to deal with the extremely complex 90s politics of a post-wall post-iron yes iron <laughs> there's a lot Germany. there's a lot going there's on here <laughs> like and they reference it directly they're like mm -hmm. Kurt, I mean when Kurt gets it did I just get hit with a brick from the wall no, oh why would you have? That's been good. It's been <laughs> going for you. <laughs> like like oh, no. there there are other bricks in there are other bricks in Germany. <laughs> what are what are you even talking about? Like that'd be that'd be like me assuming like I just got 
Well, sure, but I mean the but it's not just him. It's not just him. The 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 um the narration is trying to do that yes. as well. It's trying to really yeah. kind of draw. But like that one in particular, just like did I just get hit with a piece of the uh, a piece of the Berlin Wall? And I'm just like the, the the logic there. First off, it's been a few years since the wall came down, <laughs> and also I, I'm in Pittsburgh. Did I just get did this brick maybe come from you know like like I, there are like I don't understand that that entire that's it that's just an insane thing to even think even if you get hit with a brick it's just like well, where would that even come from it just seemed weird but i think the the book wants you to know that it is being politically and class conscious and race conscious and it's trying to make an effort that they are just woefully under, unprepared for found it a bit random that they mentioned 1984 yeah <laughs> they they, they locate the sort of like after World War II, the Berlin Wall, the release of 1984. It's sort of a bit like, and the last episode yeah. of Cheers aired last night. And like... Yeah, yeah. So many milestones. <laughs> yeah, I know that like list of like, this is the context that we're drawing on and we made you a list so that it's really clear was like terrible writing. But again, I found it interesting the things that they chose to signpost there, even though I didn't think it was good. Um, all right, let's go to some final thoughts. I'm sure there's other stuff that that we, <laughs> weird moments from this comic, I'm sure we'll all have one or two. Um, I'll come to you first, Mav. Final thoughts about this one. You already said it was the kitty well, thing, but you could talk more it about was, it. I just, okay, so that was going to be my 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 real final I did, one we didn't talk about thing. britannic and megan at all but like it's we just, don't have it's to. just adorable it's just adorable so instead i will talk about britannic and megan which was going to be my okay my short final <laughs> thought before i did it. um there's okay you gave us last issue where they're like it's britannic and let's find out more about him and then now this is the very next issue of excalibur it's not chronologically the next appearance but it's the next but it's the next issue if you're subscri uh, subscribing to this book and none of that matters N there's no talking about it rory's trying to push him back because Rory is just a complete moron. But um, <laughs> what, what bothered me is why do Megan and Brian, sorry, Megan and Britannic, let's not dead name him, um, whatever. Oh, no. Why do they want this plane? <laughs> why do they want this plane at all? Because they can fly, they can fly. really fast. <laughs> They're both capable of sonic, f of, of supersonic flight. We know this. They, like they do it again, like in issue four. <laughs> you know like, oh, like, like yeah yeah, yeah they, they're like and britannic is presumably even faster than than captain britain was captain britain is listed in the official i don't in the official handbook as having mach one flight we, we don't know oh um what britannic can do i don't know how fast moira's random not a quinjet is but like again <laughs> he's at least as fast as like a concord he can fly to wherever he wants, and yet in his weird zombified, you know, I am Britannic, I am, you know, in his weird new personality of I barely have a personality, he's still like, yeah, but let me get this plane. <laughs> what is even going on here? <laughs> so that was my weirdness, and that's, and like, I read that, and I'm, and, and like, rereading it this time, I'm reading it, and I'm going, what is he even doing? And then Megan's like, yeah, don't worry, he's got a mission, let's go on that. And Kitty, who was two seconds ago like oh i have to go see what's wrong with my dad it's like nah i'm good let's go on this flight dramatic <laughs> irony hitting that button trying i know i know uh, so that so but that said I just want to end on the picture of her sleep at her console is adorable. I love it. It, it really is nice. like, that's what, like, 
I think that's where Ken Lashley really comes into his own. And I think um, like he's experimenting and I like how he's trying to figure out, you know, what do I want my kitty to be? What do I want my Kurt to be? That's how I want his art to be. That's his ex column mm-hmm. for me is this one panel of one splash page of Kitty asleep at her console with Lockheed floating over uh, over her shoulder. I also really love the panel just uh, of her face when she realizes she's missed the phone call from her dad. I just think the expression that he gives her is like quite rich. Yeah, I think like his expressive work has gotten a lot better. Like again, even in just three issues, I like really see it. I mean, this could be a time thing too. Again, like we had all those villain issues. Like we don't know how much time people were given. I'm going to guess based on the work people turned in that they were not given the time that they needed. So let's, I will be very fair in that. Um, We know this is a cruel, a cruel industry. (laughs) Andrew, (laughs) final thoughts from you. Um, Maybe just quickly touching back on Amanda. I think in terms of the legacy of that character, this is a character that Claremont had always planned to be like a major character in a number of different books that got canceled or failed to get off the ground or she got cut from the team. Um, So I think you get that kind of iceberg mentality with it. And what I always find kind of special about her is and her relationship to Nightcrawler is this idea of a sex positive, non-monogamous relationship that also has platonic intimacy to it. Like, I I love that when one of them is in trouble, the other shows up. You know what I mean? Like there's that, that devotion, even if there isn't that kind of, um, you know, you are my partner devotion. Um, So when she shows up in the hospital, I I liked it. I I thought that was kind of cool and well within character. And that leaves me with mixed feelings because like, I kind of want that to continue and I want her to have that distance uh, and live her own life and not want to be a superhero but when she gets integrated into the team i feel like you lose it a little bit so i'm on the fence with this portrayal of the character but as i said there's elements of it that i find consistent with the character's legacy um and that i i really like in terms of showcasing what makes the character in depth um but also original and kind of unique um for the time period like the convention and it is a convention because it happens many times of like kurt or amanda showing up in each other's lives and like shit let's go on a sexy adventure now again that's like <laughs> what makes me want to like these characters and i 100 percent andrew like those are the things that make me want to buy into it too anyway we will talk about it more please don't at me about it we will have future conversations <laughs> about it we'll always we'll always being attentive to the problematic aspects i promise i promise I'm sure I'm um, going to get called out on Twitter. I, I, it's going to happen. I, I'm, I'm I think we were very fair, honestly. I'm not going to anybody yell at us. We're so nice. Um, <laughs> but anyway, my final thought was Go just a dumb one. Scholars. It was, I, I said lovely stuff about Tara. Go see that. <laughs> you did. Um, my final thought was just a dumb one, which is like, it was the brick thing just because like, not even the like the Berlin Wall thing, which was also dumb, but just like, oh man, I hate that convention where it's just like, we need to take somebody off the board. Oh, he's not paying attention. So he gets hit in the back of the head and knocked out with a brick. I'm like, I'm sorry. He you're doesn't. a superhero. He doesn't. He's fine with the brick. He gets he gets knocked out when they punch him in the back. Oh, which also yeah, bothered yeah, me. yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean. He gets I hit mean, in the head with the brick and it's a minor inconvenience. <laughs> Yeah, I know, but it's like that thing of like, you're a superhero, like, I get that you don't have eyes in the back of your head, but if you were susceptible to this kind of injury all the time, you would be dead by now. Like, Uh you can't have that kind of sort of intrusion of reality moment unless it's really earned you know they have to already be heard or something and that because you know the other time that nitro nightcrawler almost gets killed by a mob it's like he's lost his teleporting ability and he's like been running for days and is injured and you're like sure i buy it but like i hate this thing where it's just like oh your back was turned and i'm like if you're susceptible to getting knocked out by regular humans when your back is turned 
again, you would be dead by now. That's not how superheroes work. <laughs> like, they have ultra super reflexes and, like, superpowers. It just bugs me. He can teleport. This would never happen. Come on. Pro wrestling logic. It's the, in, in pro wrestling, um, I can fight for 20 minutes. I can get hit in the head with a chair. I can do whatever I want. But then the second, like, someone surprises me, I'm unconscious in one blow. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it works. I know, I know. Because we need it to happen for the story. Anyway, Johnny, I know we've gone so long. I want to come to you for final thoughts about this issue. Anything that you want to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about? The floor is yours. Sure. Um. Yeah. There's there's two little things. Um. One is that you know you're you're talking earlier about the idea of is it is Kurt cheesecake in this issue, yes. uh, or beefcake. And for me, I mean, that image with the upside down hospital gown and the tail just delicately <laughs> holding it in place, it's it's pure cheesecake to me. Like it's, I feel like there's no other way way for me to interpret that. And I, and I think that that, yeah, that spam yeah. quality is is still there. For for me, when I think about like beefcake in the book, I, I think really about like Alan Davis's Brian Braddock, who is a total, yes, I think, like yes. Tom of Finland's mm-hmm. figure yep. oh, yeah. and in, in the, the his his little shorts walking around the lighthouse i mean he he could tell he could walk right into a tom of finland uh yeah, comic in in that look the yeah. tom of finland <laughs> let's not explain it let's just let let you know oh, if you're I, gonna google do it don't really do it at work th- do you really think people who listen to our podcast don't know what tom of finland is oh, I'm like, I, have, I have more I'm, respect I'm, for our audience than that okay i'm just saying if you're gonna google it don't do we'll it see. at work but like but yes I, I i but everything else i agree i agree with everything you said johnny so yeah 100 but and then the uh, the other thing i just wanted to, to to tell this little story uh when i was a kid and i was just getting in to Marvel Comics and Excalibur in particular, my mom brought me to a comic convention that was happening in Toronto, despite not really understanding why I was spending so much time reading these X-Men comics. And one of the people who was there, you know, doing signing books was Ken Lashley. And (gasps) yeah. And I remember being so excited because, you know, the older boy from my school who would lend me comics, like he had, he was like, oh, like he's, you know, the best artist working today at Marvel Comics. And I was like, oh yeah, like someone else is saying this. And so it must be true. And he spoke, you know, it was an older boy who spoke with authority. And I was like, I do like this Nightcrawler a lot. And then I remember standing in line and I had like a couple of issues that I found that had uh, his art on the cover. And I waited and we got to the front and I was just so nervous and like so (laughs) intimidated. Um, He's also like a very humongous person. Like he's like, I think (laughs) he's extremely tall. And he's, I feel like he saw me just sort of like shaking and handing him my comics and sort of like barely saying anything. And he just like, he was like, what's the matter with you kid? Like you're at a comic convention. (laughs) It's the most fun place on earth. Like lighten up, have fun. Uh, and that was my that was my interaction with Ken Lashley, oh and he, I believe I believe autographed the cover with the uh, like dramatic Moira McTaggart Professor X kiss mm-hmm. of all of all Amazing. things. Amazing! Oh my god, I love that. I have like my fist in my mouth, like to keep myself from squealing. I love that. <laughs> So my glad. mom was very charmed. She was like, yeah. who was that person? He was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Day triple! 
I was gonna do a letter, but you know what? They're kind of just all uh, letters complaining about the new direction with the editors trying to manage it a little bit. So I'll, where is, I'll throw those. Where's everybody? Those, oh, they're uh, explained in an, in an annual. Uh, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll throw that up on our on our episode page just for anybody that's interested and commiserating on those letters. But I don't want to. Bring yeah, that where's up. that annual? It's gonna tell me uh, what Micromax is up know, to. Where is that? Any day now. No, no, any day now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's wrap things up there. Uh, we've had so much fun. I'm so, so thrilled with the conversation we had about this issue. So before we go, though, of course, we need to give a huge and hearty thank you to our guest, Johnny. Thank you so much for being here with us. And yeah, uh, hype your stuff. You got shows going on. You got a million projects going on. So yeah, remind our lovely listeners of what you get up to, Johnny, and where people can find you online if you would like them to find you. Of course. I love when people find me. Uh, my... <laughs> website is johnnywalkerartist.com which is a good place to keep up with what I am up to Uh, I do have my a a new solo show or new new for Toronto anyway coming up November 17th to 19th at Factory Theatre so information about tickets and times is up there if you want to come to my dance parties, I keep all of those on my DJ website, djorangepico.com. And uh, yeah, you can, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I am Handsome Johnny. And if, if you go far enough back in my Instagram, you can find uh, a comic that I drew about a dozen years ago about like 90s Jubilee and Storm yelling at each other. That is uh, the maybe the most popular thing I have ever put out there as an artist uh when i when i put it on the internet maybe the, my greatest legacy is is jubilee's birthday party comic that i made oh so my god you have to send it to us you have to send <laughs> I, it if you can find it send us a link oh i i i, I will i will it uh, it always resurfaces every couple of years so oh my god amazing oh uh, yeah thank you just so much again i've had so much fun thank you for having me it has been such a treat so next, I try not to make obvious jokes about the title Excalibur number 77, lowest common denominator, in which artists schooled in 90s excess try to draw a cute kid nightcrawler with mixed results. <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes. You can find those on our website or the Box Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras and via Twitter at goshgollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you Andrew and Mav for another eventful road trip. Thank you Johnny for joining us on the journey. Thank you all for listening and a special thanks to Maximilian of Platform Music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. Music